Oh yeah. It's the 525 Records Podcast. Back at it again. It's been a fucking minute. Uh, I have not done a podcast since October. But here we are. A rare solo episode from home. I just got a couple of things I want to talk about. And, uh, you know, I just want to get back in the mix. You know, get a post popping in everybody's feed. Because next week, uh, I'm doing a very special podcast with a very special person. Uh, his name is Jared Richard. He's uh, the frontman for The Verbs, the newest addition to the 525 Records family. That's him right here. He's a cool dude. He's a good dude. The band rocks. They got some shows coming up. If you're in the uh, NorCal area, May 5th, Pacifica. Sunnyvale on June 9th and uh, Campbell, California on August 4th. So they don't play many shows. Uh, when they do, it's a special event. So if you're in that area, check it out. Who knows? Maybe I'll even make it up for one of those motherfuckers. Um, so, but next week he's coming to Vegas, and uh, we're doing a podcast, and I can't wait. Uh, it's going to be a full fucking deal. I have not gone five months without doing a podcast since I started doing this podcast. Which is hilarious because uh, when I started, I was like, oh, I got to have three episodes in the can before I even put one out so I can, uh, you know, never miss an episode. You know, that was fucking four years ago or three years ago. But uh, it's really hard, man. You know, they say the number one rule in podcasting is consistently putting out content on the same time, same day. And uh, if you can't do that, then you just, it's just an uphill battle. And uh, that's where I'm at five months. <laughs> The longest I've ever gone without doing a 525 Records podcast. So I just wanted to get a rare solo episode out there and uh, tell everybody that next week we're doing a real deal podcast. We're talking three cameras. We're going to the studio. It's going to be amazing and awesome. And uh, the one and only Jared Richard is going to be episode number 25. This is episode number 24. And uh, so episode 25 is going to be Jared Richard of The Verbs. We're going to talk about everything and anything. I mean, this guy was homeless at one point, and uh, he wrote a book all about it. I'll save it for the podcast so you get the idea. Uh, yeah, so this is Motley Crue live in Moscow, and uh, I'd never seen this before. And it blew me away. Uh, I don't know. I was looking for live crew videos a while back. And I've been on a Metallica kick like the entire month. If you don't know, um, you know, Russia was fully communist at this point. This is 1989. Motley Crue live in Moscow. The Moscow Peace Fest, Music Peace Festival, 1989. Uh, uh, but you never think about you know, wow, that was a year before Monsters of Rock. And if you don't remember, uh, in 1991, Monsters of Rock hit Moscow. It was ACDC, Metallica, um, Black Crows. Pantera kicked off the set with an insane fucking set list. Um, the thing about this is that, uh, you know, the audio quality is fan-fucking-tastic. Um... I'm just going to play a little bit and then we'll talk about it. But uh, this is uh, 14 days after 
they installed a new government, you know, uh, they pulled off this festival. Like, I don't know how the fuck they even did this. And I don't know what's more impressive, right? The, there's a coup in 91 in Moscow or not a coup, a failed coup that led to Boris Yeltsin. And it was basically, uh, you know, well, I'll just play it and then we'll talk about it. Just hope this doesn't give me copyright strike. ACDC usually will get you a copyright strike. We're talking one to two million people. That's the estimate. Monsters of Rock, 1991. I remember being 14 and and seeing this. And, uh, you know, this was like a, a whole different era. It's amazing what 30 years can do. Like, you know, I'm 45 now. I was born in 77. And uh, I'm just looking back on this going, my God, you know, 30, I can't believe it's been 30 years. I mean, think about 30 years before 1991, like rock and roll hadn't even really been invented. It was pre-Beatles. I mean, you had Elvis and Chuck Berry and stuff, but that was about it, you know. I mean, something like this was unthinkable in 1961, 30 years before this. And now 30 years later, it's like this is almost as unthinkable given, given everything that's going on in the world today with Russia. <laughs> But a little, a little blast from the past, because that's what YouTube is. It's a fucking time machine. YouTube is a fucking time machine. This is in 240p. I have to stop and, and talk over it. Otherwise, it's definitely going to get a copyright strike. But uh, this is 240p. It's one of the only two versions of the documentary. They actually made a movie about this it's called Monsters of Rock. And that's, uh, you know, the actual film footage. Um, but it's this was on VHS back in the day. I remember watching this on VHS. So that's why the quality so bad. I mean, just Pantera at their prime. Uh, you know, this is 10 in the morning. Pantera was the first band to play, and uh, they just absolutely killed it. And uh, I'm going to skip ahead trying to get to the... Uh, so this is... Uh, they actually they had a local uh, Russian band play, and uh, they fucking killed it. I mean, I can't imagine anybody following Pantera, let alone the Black Crows. <laughs> I forget, I forget the name of these guys, but they're uh, like a local Moscow Russian band. So they, they called in the Russian military and uh, police and they beat the shit out of these fucking kids. <laughs> this is a free concert, dude. This is like way bigger than Woodstock, you know? Uh, and the thing about the 89, dude, like in 89, 
this was bold. This was billed as the Woodstock Moscow. You know, it was pretty good. You know, they had a lot of people, but it, nothing compared. 14 days after they installed a new fucking government with Boris Yeltsin, somehow they aligned all these fucking huge names to go play this fucking Russian airfield in Moscow. And so the, uh, you know, it's just everything was in chaos and disorganized. Nobody knew. And so they, uh, you know, they had the Russian military and police trying to, like, keep everything down. And they, they beat the shit out of these fucking kids, but nobody died, it's, which is unbelievable. I mean, this has to be the the most legendary concert ever. Way, way bigger than Woodstock. This is after Pantera. <laughs> I mean, what about it? It's peace, man. It means like don't beat on each other with sticks while you're out there. I mean, how how the fuck are the Black Crows even on this bill? And what, like, uh, can you imagine? being the black crows having to follow pantera like that that would never happen in america in a million fucking years and yet here you are in moscow 1991 i mean black crow it's just black crows peace love hippies bare feet smoking pot <laughs> What a contradiction. What a juxtaposition. And again, you just have to hand it to the fucking organizers and the promoters. How the fuck did they pull this off? 14 days. But you know what? I mean, they fucking definitely, you know, calm the crowd down. Look at Steve Gorman here. Look at that. Look at this fucking hair. Look at this fucking hair. <laughs> Steve Gorman, if you don't know, got a great book. Put it out a couple of years ago. Uh, kind of a Black Rose memoir. That he's been estranged from the band. I mean, everybody's gone now except for 
Chris and Rich. That is Jeff Cease right there. Uh, he's the original guitar player for the Black Crows. This is before Mark Ford. It, it had to be one of his last gigs. Uh, Mark Ford would come in. They would do Southern Harmony. You know, Mark Ford, an angel of a guitar player, one of the best guitar players in the world. Uh, long, you know, he's um, uh, quite an interesting dude. He's become quite religious in his uh, later years. He's on tour right now. You can probably go see him at your local bar at some point. Uh, you know, just keep your ear to the grind i'm sure he's he's out playing you know tiny little gloves tiny little bars in various uh, outfits and bands and as solo but this is jeff cease everybody forgets about jeff cease he was the original shake your money ma- money maker uh, guitar player and uh yeah it's just crazy to see him in this Look at this fucking kid. I mean, my God. You think you think today's fucking American kids? This is 1991, dude. Look at this Russian kid. He's all fucking tatted up. Looks like Takashi 69 I mean, look at these fucking eyes, dude. You want to fuck with this kid? No. <laughs> I mean, just fucking incredible, dude. You know? It just makes... Uh, it puts it all in perspective. But the best part about this is all the, like, backstage stuff. It was the night before the show, me and Kurt went down to the tent city, down uh, where the coup is going on. We were still, like, holding all these rituals and stuff like that. We were talking to some of the guys there that were actually the, the real people that were instrumental in averting the coup thing. Look at Lars wearing a dead Kennedy's fucking shirt. Look at that. California Uber Alice. <laughs> fucking Lars wearing a wearing a fucking dead Kennedy shirt I love this this is a great sound bit right here because it's true about me you know I start records I don't finish them I fucking start records I don't finish them you know I start records I don't finish them smells like liquor in here smells like liquor in here why did his brothers get killed why what was the situation that developed into that it was on the hardest night on the rainiest night august because the special troops of kgb were expected here everybody here was defending this building people were standing in lines from 11 to in the morning. Well, naturally, they were afraid. But mostly, people came here to die. They want freedom, they crave for it. They were ready to meet their death. Don't give me a copyright strike. So that's that's the story behind Monsters of Rock, right? Like, um, 
30 years since Moscow's Monster of Rock, remembering Russia's biggest ever rock festival, featuring Metallica's all-time greatest performance and miraculously zero fatalities. September 28, 1991, the Tushino Airfield in Moscow hosted the Monsters of Rock International Music Festival. ACDC, Metallica, the Black Crows, and Pantera all performed, while the metal band Electroshock Therapy represented the Soviet Union. The event attracted a crowd of more than 500,000 people. Now, that's a low ball. The official estimates are like 1.6 to 2 million. Definitely over a million people, um, for sure. In the documentary for those about to rock, Monsters in Moscow, which is what we were watching, released a year after the festival on VHS, Pantera's 30-minute set is half fights, jostling crowds, and clashes between leather jacket-clad youths and men in uniform. To avoid injuries and deaths, producers from Time Warner were prepared to take extreme measures and even stop the show. The situation is out of control. If you want to see other groups perform, calm down. Uh, in any case, by 4 or 5 o'clock, music wasn't the issue. Violence was... I saw no less than a dozen bleeding people, a couple of policemen among them. I saw police cruelly beating up kids, with or without a reason. I saw a rain of empty glass bottles thrown at police lines from the audience. I saw soldiers kicking a guy, lying on the ground with their monstrous boots. That's There's, that's actually, there's actually footage of that in the documentary. Um... <laughs> and then you put the fucking Black Crows in there. The Black Crows and American Blues rock group initially defused the tense situation, and then the Moscow-based anarcho-metal group Electroshock Therapy sang the first Russian songs of the evening. So, so I mean, just imagine Pantera, a bunch of fights, everybody's bleeding, cops are beating the shit out of people, then the Black Crows go on. I, can you imagine how hard that is, like, for the Black Crows? I just, I can't even fucking imagine, uh, but... It worked. It calmed everybody down. Kind of like uh, Woodstock 99, man. Who went on and calmed everybody down? I forgot. Uh, anyway, but uh, look, this is this is ACDC. <laughs> they had a whole lot of Rosie. Oh, they're canceled. <laughs> they're fucking canceled. Uh, by the time Metallica took the stage, the clashes had mostly petered out. No one wanted to miss the main act, not the punks or the police, who it turns out were also big fans. Uh... Which brings me to this. Uh, this is a much better audio version, and it's something I've been listening to a lot lately. I don't know why. I've just been on a Metallica kick, but somebody in 2021 remixed and remastered uh, this footage from the concerts and um, uploaded it, and it's in 720p at 60 FPS. And uh, it's just a much better, higher quality version, you know. It just, it, the, the quality of this is so much better than the original. I mean, they did a fan-fucking-tastic job remastering this, and it's amazing. And then right at the end here, it gets really good. And considerable finance from the Time Warner Corporation. The crowd was estimated to be anything Time Warner. and a million strong. We've been stuck here at the airport for the last two hours waiting for our visas. <laughs> so uh, we'll see what happens. But so far the airport's really nice. I Heavy metal crowd. This guy, this guy was instrumental in the uh, in putting on this festival. Uh, I don't know how you say it, Troitsky, 
but uh, yeah, we're, I'll, I'll, we're going to go through the Wikipedia's and uh, talk about it. But yeah, this guy was this guy was a man. It's very big, but also you know it's very restricted. I mean, it's like a cult. When we went out there, the crowd was so into it, and they were so up for seeing us. It was, it was great. It was like you know playing playing a regular you know West, Western Western country. They wanted Metallica, they wanted ACDC for what they had done and their jobs and inverting, inverting the coup and all that. So I think today really has opened up for us to come in. Metallica talk blood and gore and ACDC let there be rock on the block. Well, Metallica performed at last weekend's record-breaking metal festival in... This is great. Go, ...but their performance could have ground to an early halt when drummer Lars Ulrich cut his hand early in the set. Well, this is what happened to it. Um, in Harvester of Sorrow, which is like the third track in, uh, we stop for about 30 seconds in it, and James does this thing where he gets the kids kind of going. Well, either I thought it was a lot shorter tonight, or James did a lot shorter, one of the two, you figure it out. But I was like standing up when the cue, when James did the cue, and I had to hit the snare drum while I was standing up, leaning over the drum kit to make the cue, and I just bashed my hand right into the snare drum between the stick and the snare drum like pure spinal tap vibe and just the blood was like just gushing out i mean i've hit myself a couple of times over the last couple of years and there's been you know cuts and bruises but i mean this is still bleeding i can feel it bleeding inside there now it's just like i can feel it bleeding inside there now. <laughs> the symbols the whole snare skin like everything was just gushing like for the whole rest of the gig Thanks for sharing that with us, Lars. Let's try to find that. It's Harvester of Sorrow. <laughs> Straight up office space. <laughs> you know, the thing about Jason Newstead that everybody fucking overlooks is his contribution in terms of backup vocals. And you can really hear it on Harvester. Uh, like, he, he could sing, dude, and he sang a lot of backup in Metallica. And it just, it was such a nice touch. It really added another element to Metallica that was not there before. And uh, it never gets enough credit, man. Jason Newstead's backup vocals do not get enough fucking credit. Just some boomer rock. I mean, you know, guys my age. If you're my age, if you're over 40. You can really appreciate this. I was 14 when this happened. I remember watching this on VHS. Here comes the break. This is when Lars fucking chops his finger off. So he's standing up. Now he's standing up. Thank <laughs> you. 
Boom, finger off. <laughs> yeah, you can you can see why Lars was like not expecting that. I mean, I think they usually hold it a lot longer, you know, in their other uh, concerts. But anyway, uh, Metallica Live in Moscow, nineteen ninety one, twenty twenty one, remixed and remastered. It sounds so fucking good. It's it's just amazing. And I mean, uh, I can't even fucking describe it. But uh, so 1991, right? They have a attempt of a Soviet coup. And I, man, I'm probably butchering this history, but I think the way it goes is like this. You got Gorbachev, right? He gets elected in 85. You remember he had the thing on his forehead. So Gorbachev is trying to do Glasnost and um, Perestroika. And uh, there's a lot of Soviet hardliners that don't like these economic changes. So Gorbachev's in power. You got the K- basically the KGB. Like everybody that's in the KGB, they try to overthrow uh, Gorbachev, but it fails because the people come out in the streets and they actually block tunnels and they stand in front of the White House and they were they actually try to attack the the, the White House is actually the same, like just like we have a White House in America, the Russian. Uh, parliament building apparently is also called the White House so can't make that shit up so apparently all these people come out and they prevent it and um, they put Yeltsin in and Yeltsin does a new government and then a month fucking later this concert happens how the fuck did they pull that off I mean you gotta give it to them you know just a different era you know just like 30 years ago this is 32 fucking years ago 30 years before that you could never imagine rock and roll wasn't even around you couldn't imagine this. What's going to happen 30 years from now? You know, given the, the today's climate, you know, today's state of everything, you know, the, you know, Russia's back to being the bad guy. It's like the Cold War all over again. It just reminds me of being a kid in the 80s, you know, when you were going to get nuked at any second. But so the 1991 Soviet coup d'etat, also known as the August coup, was a failed attempt by hardliners of the Soviet Union's Communist Party to forcibly seize control of the country from Mikhail Gorbachev, who was Soviet president and General Secretary of the Communist Party at the time. The coup leaders consisted of top military and civilian officials, including, I can't pronounce any of these fucking names, uh, blah, 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 blah. So the GKCHP hardliners, that's the coup, the people trying to do the coup, dispatched KGB agents who detained Gorbachev at his holiday estate but failed to detain the recently elected president of a newly reconstructed, reconstituted Russia Boris Yeltsin who had been both an ally and a critic of Gorbachev so interesting interesting since assuming power as general secretary of communist party of the Soviet Union in 1985 Gorbachev had embarked on an ambitious reform program embodied in the twin concepts of perestroika and glasnost or economic political restructuring and openness These moves prompted resistance and suspicion on the part of hardline members of... I can't pronounce that. And, uh, yeah, so basically that's what happened. Um, Russia declared its sovereignty on 12th June 1990 and thereafter limited the application of Soviet laws, in particular those governing finance and the economy on Russian territory. So, 12th of June 1990. What the fuck... You got Motley Crue in the Moscow Music Peace Festival, 1989, August of 89. That's crazy. How the fuck did they do that? The coup was the last gasp of those who were astonished and felt betrayed by the precipitous collapse of the Soviet Union's empire in Eastern Europe and the swift destruction of the Warsaw Pact. 
many fear the consequences of Gorbachev's German policies above all, not just for leaving officers unemployed, but for sacrificing gains achieved in the Great Patriotic War to the German. And it goes on and on. So I'm not going to read this whole thing. But you have this interesting coup chronology, right? Uh, 19th of August, 1 a.m., this is the vice president, signed documents in the formation of the state committee for the state of emergency. That's the GKCHP, consisting of himself, Pavlov, a bunch of other dudes. 6 a.m., KGB immediately issued an arrest list that included newly elected Russian president, SFSR, Soviet former state republic. I forget what that stands for, but Boris Yeltsin, he's the guy that's going to get in there that the kids, you know, put in or whatever, you know, that's the real coup. It's really two coups, right? It's a failed coup that results in an actual coup <laughs> that puts Boris Yeltsin in, uh, so, this is interesting. Uh, the coup conspirators considered detaining Yeltsin upon his return from a visit from Kazakhstan on 17th of August, but failed when Yeltsin redirected his flight to a different airport. Afterwards, they considered capturing him at his DACA. I guess that's like a house near Moscow. The KGB Alpha Group surrounded his DACA with Spetsnaz, but for undisclosed reasons, did not apprehend him. Interesting. After the announcement of the coup at 6.30 a.m., Yeltsin began inviting prominent Russian officials to his DACA. Yeltsin initially wanted to remain at the DACA and organize a rival government, but Kobets advised his group to travel to the White House, that's the Russian parliament building, to maintain communications with coup opponents. That's fascinating. Um, they arrived and occupied the building at 9 a.m. Together, Yeltsin issued a declaration to the citizens of Russia that condemned the coup's actions as a reactionary anti-constitutional coup. The military was urged not to take part in the coup and local authorities were asked to follow the laws. Uh, da, 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 da. Although he initially avoided the measure to avoid sparking a civil war, Yeltsin also subsequently took command of all Soviet military and security forces in the RSFSR. The joint declaration called for a general strike with the demand of Gorbachev to adjust the people. The declaration was distributed around Moscow. This is just fucking fascinating shit. It's fascinating to think that a month after this fucking happens, ACDC Metallica, the Black Girls... How the fuck did they pull this off? And how the fuck, it, what's even more impressive is how did they pull this off in 1989 with almost the same bands? I mean, Skid Row, Molly Crew, Bon Jovi headlined this fucking festival. I mean, incredible. Just fucking incredible. Uh, I mean, yeah, no Soviet nuclear weapons. I mean, this is like high stakes shit here. So, da 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 da. So, 21 of August, at about 1 a.m., not far from the White House, trolley buses and street cleaning machines were used to barricade a tunnel against arriving Taman Guards infantry fighting vehicles, commanded by Sergei, this is the KGB dude, I'm imagining. So, basically, the KGB, they try to go in, they try to attack and take control of the White House, but all these people come out and they're like, no, fuck you, we're not letting you do it. And then, um, it lasts all night, and... According to journalist and democracy campaigner Sergei something who was in the crowd defending the White House, those deaths played... Oh, so apparently some people died. Uh, three men were killed in the ensuing clash. Dmitry Komar, Vladimir Yusov, and 
Ilya something. Several others were wounded. Komar, 22-year-old Soviet Afghan war veteran, was shot and crushed trying to cover a moving IFE's observation. Yusuf, a 37-year-old economist, was killed by a stray bullet while coming to Komar's aid. The crowd set fire to an IFV. And Krzyzewski, a 20-year-old architect, was shot dead as the troops pulled back. According to journalist and democracy campaigner who was in the crowd defending the White House, those deaths played a crucial role. Both sides were so horrified that it brought a halt to everything. Alpha Group did not move to the White House as planned. And Yazov, that's the I think the vice president, one of those guys, ordered the troops to pull out of Moscow. Reports also surfaced that Gorbachev had been placed under house arrest in Crimea. Interesting. So at 8 a.m., the troops began to leave Moscow. Between 8 and 9, coup members met in the defense arena. 1 p.m. Yeah, this is just fascinating. I just can't believe that they fucking... Oh, yeah, 23rd of August. Pugo and his wife committed suicide on 23rd of August. Some real Hitler bunker shit. So... Yeah, fucking fascinating. It's just fucking fascinating that they're able to pull this concert off a month after, less than a month after this. Uh, anyway, so then, you know, you get Yeltsin. Uh, oh, this is great. So, Five Eyes is an intelligence alliance consisting of the United States and its core Anglosphere fighter during World War II that quickly shifted focus to the Eastern Bloc as the Cold War began. During the Cold War, the Five Nations were inexorably linked, although Australia and New Zealand were not NATO members. They were allied to the U.S. and U.K., New Zealand, steered to more. So they all put out these statements. This is fascinating because you get to see, like, history reflects, you know, where everybody was in this. So in the U.S., during his vacation in Walker's Point Estate in Kennebunkport, U.S. President George H.W. Bush, that's the, the elder Bush, the real fucking evil dude, made a blunt demand for Gorbachev's restoration to power and said the United States did not accept the legitimacy of the self-proclaimed new Soviet government. Bush rushed to the White House from his vacation home. Oh, poor Bush. Receiving a letter from uh, somebody aboard Air Force One, he then issued a strongly worded statement that followed a day of consultations with other Western Alliance leaders amid a concerted effort to squeeze the new Soviet leadership by freezing economic aid programs. Bush decried the coup. So what is the coup? The coup is not the... So what are you calling a coup, right? So you have Gorbachev. You have the KGB trying to overthrow Gorbachev. That's the official coup. In the process of that, a bunch of fucking civilians come out and defend the White House. And then they call that the coup. (laughs) You can't fucking make this up. Bush decried the coup as a misguided and illegitimate effort that bypassed both Soviet law and the will of the Soviet peoples. Gaslighting to the fucking nth degree. He called the overthrow very disturbing and put a hold on USA to the Soviet Union until the coup was ended. The Bush statement, drafted after a series of meetings with top aides, was much more forceful than the president's initial reaction that morning in Maine. It was in keeping with a Western effort to apply both diplomatic and economic pressure on the Soviet officials seeking to gain control of the country. On 2 of September... The United States re-recognized the independence of Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. See, all these other former Soviet states, in the wake of this, whatever you want to call it, uh, coup number two, you know, they all proclaim their independence and it's all going down, so. James Baker issued a statement warning, the whole world is watching. Legitimacy in 1991 flows not from the barrel of a gun, but from the will of the people. History cannot be reversed. Sooner or later, your effort will fail. 
The coup also led several members of Congress, uh, Richard Luger, because of security, Soviet weapons of mass destruction, nuclear proliferation, blah, blah, blah. And former President Ronald Reagan said, I can't believe that the Soviet people will allow a reversal in the progress that they have recently made towards economic and political freedom. <laughs> Based on my extensive meetings and conversations with him, I am convinced that President Gorbachev had the best interests of the Soviet people in mind. I've always felt that in his opposition, that I was, oh, I've always felt that his opposition came from the communist bureaucracy, and I can only hope that enough progress was made that a movement toward democracy will be unstoppable. Well, what is the, what is democracy? Like when you really break down the etymology of it, you know, it basically means mob rule, right? Re majority rule. Um, <laughs> I just, I can't get over fucking history, man. It's so fucking wild, dude. It's so wild that this fucking shit happened a month later. Like how the fuck time Warner threw a fucking millions of dollars and a bunch of fucking, money into this thing and uh got everybody there it's just unfucking real unfucking real that that happened um this is great jason newstead reveals the truth about metallica's concert in russia in 1991 <clears throat> In 1991, there was a coup attempt in Russia initiated by communists towards the government of Mikhail Gorbachev. Around that time, Moscow got included in the worldwide festival called Monsters of Rock, despite the political tension in the country. The concert was a huge event and hosted 1.6 million rock music fans who attended the event to watch a legendary band for free. For free. Among those bands were ACDC, Metallica, Black Rose, Pantera, which created a rock and roll feast. Jason Newstead remembered this event, started to tell the story of how they got included in the festival, which is fucking amazing. Here's how Newstead told the story about being asked to perform the coup. Quote, I don't know if you know the story. People have heard it before probably a few times. I've told it a few times. But we were in the Eastern Bloc touring with ACDC at the time. There were still a lot of communist nations that hadn't been switched over. And the coup starts happening in Russia. And word comes out. And there's kind of mumblings amongst managers and stuff like that. And things like, they're going to go play this big show somewhere. So we got a message from Prime Minister represented from Russia or something. Got through to our management. And they had talked to the kids that stood up to the tanks Mighty of Tiananmen Square. I mean, democracy, freedom. We're, and the American government is like decrying it and opposed to it. Fuck, history's a fucking bitch, isn't it? The leaders of the resistance, what would you like for a reward for saving us all? We want American rock and roll. We want Guns N' Roses. We want Metallica. Yeah, GNR ain't going to Moscow. That's for fucking sure. <laughs> Not in 91. Uh, yeah, that's incredible. Here's how he talked about the memorable plane they got in. Time Warner gets behind the whole thing. That's key. They see a giant opportunity to make world history, which it has now become. So they send this plane for us. Black Crows, ACDC, Metallica. We're all together playing some shows. I think they were like Monsters of Rock label shows or something. And this plane shows up. And man, we could fit this room inside part of it. Couches, the full fucking deal, man. I've never seen anything like it. We've been on a couple of nice planes, but this was insane really because it was a big-ass plane, a proper big plane where you stand up and walk around. Hey, way to go, Time Warner. No expenses spared. He later expressed how he felt about the atmosphere of the concert. Jason started, stated how stunned he was by the crowd that there was, that was there since 10 in the morning for rock and roll. He talked about the 1992 film for those about to rock, Monsters in Moscow, that's what we're watching, which is the completion of the concert footage made into a film. 
he confessed that he watched it more than he watched the Metallica. I guess there's a movie called Metallica. I haven't seen it, but he described his feelings by saying the graininess in the black and white, somewhat sepia film. They had their fresh ears, all these people building up to this thing. And there's only a few hundred thousand across the field at that time, a mere quarter of a million at 10 in the morning. A lot of people that are in the morning, a lot of people that are in the morning, perfect for these guys, the way the film came off, the way Don, come on, dude, untouchable. It's filmed with the masks and the thing. So he's talking about Pantera there. Um, which, you know, in addition to being the best Metallica performance ever recorded and also, uh, you know, just the highest quality live Metallica, um, this probably my favorite video, 38 million views, 38 million views, Pantera domination live from Moscow. I gotta keep talking over it or I'm gonna get a fucking copyright. Imagine this at 11 o'clock in the morning. But this is. Just one of the. One of the greatest fucking dime bag Daryl solos ever. Fucking, fucking insane. Oh, man, it's fucking legendary. This is the uh, vulgar video. This is the Pantera home video. And this is what they saw going to Moscow to play the show. Are you tired? Yeah. I didn't get any sleep before we left, so this is two days. No drugs either. I don't know what uh, the story is with the hotel restaurant. You guys check it out. If that doesn't work out, I was telling Phil the other two places to go our Pizza Hut and McDonald's. I don't eat this type of trash. But since we're in Russia, and the provisions are uh, 
lacking. Provision less. I guess these uh, dinosaur fruit snacks come in a little handy. Holy shit, my peppermint whiskey mouthwash. Fake seal and all. Gotta love it. This is uh, the Pantera tour of Moscow. And, uh, right there to our immediate left, we have uh, all the folks gathering for the uh, annual Saxon concert that, that they throw. <laughs> Hey, you want a rubber? It's worth the buckle regardless. How much? Five bucks. Check that out, dude. That's Rex's number right there. How much? Did you say ten dollars? Is that Rex? Ten bucks. Ten bucks. It's, it's, it's an old It's no real sheep. Give me your money. Tune this motherfucker, somebody. I mean, look at that fucking guy. This is great, right here. This is the best. It's fucking happening. Look at that. I'm a cue ball head now. He hasn't hit you yet. You're opening it up for a million people. Yeah, it's, get it's it is by a second, actually. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah. Being the uh, well-established uh, rock and roll band that we are and uh, well-respected here in uh, the Soviet Union and on the bill, <laughs> they feel, you know, we don't really want them to go out of their way, but, I mean, look at this. And, you know, I'm serious, though. Money, you know, we're not really materialistic or anything, but Jesus Christ, they didn't have to go out of their way and do this. Take them on a tour inside. Come on in. Watch out now, you don't want to mess up the fine floor or anything. I mean, this is brand new carpet. Really nice, gives a bottle of water and uh, half a bottle of Cuervo. That's right, and uh, perfect. That's our clothes, this is our pole. And this is our light. Yeah, yeah, it's our light. Whoa, 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 back up, back up. Watch out for those uh, drumsticks, those cost a little bit of money. Whoa, 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 don't get so close. <laughs> it's like, so what the fuck happened, you know? I mean, if you're old as me, you'll remember living through this. Like, the Soviet Union fell, the wall came down. It was like, us and Russia, we're going to be best buds forever. And fast forward 30 years, it's the fucking Cold War all over again. But it just, it really brings into perspective this Motley Crue show. Uh, you know, Motley Crue, Skid Row, Bon Jovi, um, 1989. How did they fucking do this? So this is the Moscow Music Peace Festival. The Moscow Music Peace Festival was a rock concert that took place in the USSR August 12th to 13th, 1989 at Central Lenin Stadium in Moscow, occurring during the Glasnost area. Glasnost is a concept relating to openness and transparency. It has several general and specific meanings, including a policy of maximum openness in the activities of state institutions and freedom of information this is what the KGB wanted to fight right this is what they wanted to overthrow the freedom of information and the inadmissible inadmissibility of hushing up problems my god history what a bitch uh, it marked the first time hard rock and heavy metal acts from abroad were granted permission to perform in the capital city. Over 100,000 people attended. It was broadcast live to 59 nations, including MTV. It also raised money to help those addicted to drugs and alcohol. Oh, that's generous of them. 
addicted to drugs and alcohol. The concert featured six bands from abroad and three Russian bands. The concert ended with the various band members participating in a jam session. An album and documentary were released. It inspired the 1990s song Winds of Change by the Scorpions, one of the best-selling singles of all times. Modeled as a Russian Woodstock, the concert was a joint production by Russian musician Stas Naman and American music manager Doc McGee. Doc McGee is an American music manager best known for working with hard rock bands Kiss, Bon Jovi, and Molly Crew. So, yeah. So you got Skid Row doing a Sex Pistols cover. Gorky Park, Cinderella, Motley Crue, Ozzy, The Scorpions, Bon Jovi fucking headlining. <laughs> Can you imagine Bon Jovi fucking headlining this? Doc McGee, man, what a legend, dude. This guy was a fucking legend. I think he's still alive. He might might be dead. I don't know. Yeah, he's Doc McGee is, I guess that means he's still alive, a music manager best known for working with hard rock bands Kiss, Bon Jovi, and Miley Crew. The latter two groups experienced their rise of stardom under his management. He's also worked with Hootie and the Blowfish. What the fuck? He was in a reality series for VH1 called Supergroup. And, uh, yeah. In 1989, McGee joined with Russian musician and promoter Stas Neiman to create... The mo- to create the Moscow Music Peace Festival which brought together hard rock and metal bands from the United States, Europe, and Russia to benefit programs <laughs> to help drug addicts get the fuck out of here over 100,000 people attended it was broadcast in 59 countries interesting so little known about Doc McGee in November of 82, McGee was arrested for contributing to the import of 20 tons 20 tons. What is one ton? A ton is a, like 2,000 pounds. So if one ton is 2,000 pounds, 10 tons is 20,000 pounds. 20 tons would be 40,000 pounds. <laughs> 40. 40. Forty thousand pounds of marijuana into North Carolina via a shrimp boat. <laughs> the 21 count indictment said that McGee and the smugglers had the intent to distribute the marijuana. I mean, what else are you going to do with 40,000 pounds of marijuana that you're bringing in? Of course you're going to distribute it. McGee would have to serve 30 years in jail and be fined for something that's legal now. Would have to serve 30 years in jail and be fined $140,000. That was a lot of money back then. But the position with intent to sell charge was changed. Identified as a link between U.S. smugglers and Colombian drug suppliers, McGee pleaded guilty and was ordered to spend 250000 and 3000 hours dedicated to his Make a Difference Foundation, a nonprofit aimed at deterring youth drug use. <laughs> Oh, you just can't make this shit up. So, a music promoter who, in 1982, tries to smuggle 40,000 pounds of marijuana on a shrimp boat now starts a non-profit foundation aimed at deterring youth drug, deterring youth drug use and a lot of the profits of the Moscow Peace Festival were raised to benefit programs to help drug addicts. Interesting, isn't it? Fascinating. 
So Motley Crue, 82 to 89. Bon Jovi, 84 to 91. GNR, a one-year stint. Kiss, 95 to present. Skid Row, 88 to present. Hootie and the Blowfish? Why the fuck? Why the fuck is Doc McGee managing those guys? Night Ranger, Crooked X, TNT. I mean, you know, the list goes on. Yeah. The Moscow Music Peace Festival. I had never fucking heard of this thing. And being a huge Monsters of Rock fan, I'm like, how the fuck did they do this in 1989? It's just, it's fucking incredible. fuck happened I mean how did it go from that to this we're we, we are back in the fucking cold war but I mean just keep it about the music a killer set hold that thought we'll be right back all right so thank you for uh, taking a trip down memory lane I just wanted to put a podcast out to uh, get back on uh, everybody's feeds and let you know there's going to be a big one coming up with uh, my man Jared Richard next week. And also, I got to say, uh, the Smokes, the Smokes played a show at Al's Den. Uh, I don't know about a month ago. They're playing another one, April seventh, twenty twenty three, um, at Al's Den in Portland. So be sure to check that out if you're in the area. The last show they played, which uh, we didn't know, we thought it might be their last. Um, some members are moving out of Portland, and uh, any one of these shows could be their last. So just uh, check it out if you're up there. April 7th is when I'll be doing the Jared Richard podcast. So unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to make it up for this. But if you're in Portland, check out the Smokes at Al's Den, uh, April 7th. Ten bucks, can't beat it. It was a packed house last time, and... Uh, we got an amazing recording out of it, which I'm going to leave you with as I play out this episode. So thank you for listening to the 525 Records podcast. Stay tuned next week for a, a brand new, actual, real podcast episode with uh, Jared Richard from The Verbs. And uh, yeah, go see The Smokes at Al's Den. And I'll leave you with this. It's a live recording from their last show, and uh, it's called Kill Somebody. Dedicated to the great John Rasmussen. Enjoy the Factory Five Records podcast. This one's for you, Johnny. This one's for you, Johnny. Yes, sir.